1: Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER.
2: Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McKusick. We're here to start doing the review episodes for the Baltimore Ravens in 2022. Starting on the defensive side of the ball, we're going to look at the safety group today. Joining us to do that is our friend Alec Poulianis of One Winning Pod. Alec, how are you doing?
3: Doing well, Ken. Excited to talk about the safeties. I thought it was one of the most interesting groups going into 2022 and um, maybe some of the highest performing.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Very, very deep group for the Ravens at safety. Uh, before we get into talk about it, though, I got to thank our sponsor, and that's Liquid Death, the water that will brutally murder your thirst. Uh, please give their product a try; they've been very good to us, and uh, you'll hear some uh, specifics about them later in the show. Uh, so, Alec, anyway, uh, yes, great performing group. Uh, you know, in the off season, it started with the, with the Ravens' biggest free agent move this year, and that was the signing of Marcus Williams.
3: It did. That was a big splash. I think a lot of players um, were excited by the news because the flexibility a safety like Marcus Williams brings to a defense and kind of um, looking with the new scheme that we were going to deploy with um, Mike McDonald, it just it just created a lot of excitement in the air for what this defense could do. And he definitely um, lived up to the billing at the beginning of the season.
2: Yeah, very, very much so. A guy who... Uh, um... Looked every bit the ball hawk that he was, uh, had been in in his time at uh, uh, New Orleans. Uh, had interceptions uh, early in the season, several of them. Uh, was playing very well. Uh, you, you know, there, he, he I, I kind of want to go through the preseason stuff more. We'll come back to what Marcus Williams did as a player, uh, during the regular season. And it, it looked like they had the pairing they wanted at safety with Marcus Williams and Chuck Clark. Uh, Clark. Would move back. We thought to more of a strong safety role, where where I think a lot of people think he's he's better. The strong safety role. It's easier probably to call the plays with the green dot that he's worn now for several years, and uh, also move up and play dime back uh, when when that was called for uh, on passing downs, whenever the Ravens would need him to play dime. There, there were interruptions at the dime back spot <laughs> later in the year as well. But uh, Geno Stone, you know, was on the team. Uh, Also, to play the back half on some dime situations really seemed like a perfect three-way combo at that point. It did. And
3: um, I guess if we're also talking about the preseason, Tony Jefferson was still there um, and kind of a a part of the options that we had. Um, Mm -hmm. He got the short end of the stick, mostly probably because of age and just the performance of the players around him. But uh, I'm glad that he's getting an opportunity uh,
2: with the Giants and, and kind of playing well there. Yeah, still playing, still playing as we record this. Uh, so anyway, draft night, of course, changed everything for the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, Kyle Hamilton dropped to them at number 14, one of their top players on their board. They simply could not refuse it, despite the fact that they certainly had other positional needs at that point. Uh, and they took the best player available. It's something that uh, you know I wish they had done a couple of years ago in 2018 with Derwin James. Uh, they didn't they traded down they they did some other picks to eventually end up with Hayden Hurst in the first round. Uh, but anyway, this time around, they, they, I think, did it right drafted Kyle Hamilton. And now all of a sudden, there's a question at safety who's going to play where uh, Chuck Clark, obviously not entirely um, happy with the draft situation mm-hmm. and what that meant for him, uh, reportedly requested a trade. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, obviously, was unsure of his own future in Baltimore. Indeed.
3: And it kind of continues to this day. Uh, so we'll see how Chuck Clark proceeds, uh, with the Ravens story. But, um, I guess at the end of the day, he was not traded. Um, and he never held out or anything like that. Uh, he was always a team player and, um, kind of what you expect out of Chuck Clark. He always seemed like a really upstanding guy. Um, a a really respected leader in the locker room, and he continued that. And uh, luckily, I think the Ravens were able to find a way to use all this talent uh, to their advantage.
2: Yeah, it it, it was fortunate because obviously the Ravens uh, came up short in terms of players during the middle of 2022 when they had some injuries. Uh, Marcus Williams, one of the very first severe injury for the Ravens to go down in that Week 5 game against Cincinnati. Uh, He did not return until week 14 with a broken wrist. Actually, one of the pretty decent return stories because he did end up playing 10 games uh, of 17 during the regular season. Right.
3: Yeah, it was a weird injury, too, where he it wasn't clear when he got hurt. He just never came back in kind of thing. Um, And it it looked like maybe it was actually a play or two before his last play, uh, before, Mm -hmm. you know, he took some time off if you had to make your best guess. And um, yeah, I thought the interesting part was at that point, I thought they were at a really interesting impasse where I thought maybe Kyle Hamilton would be um, asked to be the other safety, but they leaned on Geno stone and let Kyle Hamilton kind of continue growing in a role that he could continue in when Marcus could come back. And I think at the end of the day, that was actually a really wise move that maybe showed some extra, um, insights that they had maybe on Marcus Williams' timeline to get back and also the overall scheme that they were trying to get to by the end of
2: the year. Yeah, I think both both true. Williams, uh, you know, a fine year, uh, probably one that we would say might have been impacted by the injuries in his return. But one of the things about it is, he retained his hitting ability and he showed not only to be a good deep center fielder who played a you know a tight or loose bracket as necessary, but you know, I you know, I've talked about this show, always like the loose bracket from safeties who anticipate the overthrow as opposed to guided missile types who always go for the rib section, like Deshaun Elliott did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Deshaun Elliott, different type of player, you know, really maybe maybe more, more made for the strong safety role than the free safety role, but Marcus Williams certainly a free safety all the way. And uh, and knows how to play that loose bracket. The Ravens blessed with a couple of guys who really had that skill. With him and Geno Stone, Marcus Williams showed it off early in the year with some interceptions. I believe he's leading the NFL in interceptions after about three weeks. Uh, I don't know how mm-hmm. long that lasted. Honestly, he had he had three interceptions. No, I have to go back and look for it. He had he did have three interceptions fairly early on. Yeah, uh, and I think he had
3: three in the four in the first three games. Uh, it was like a completely unsustainable <laughs> rate of interceptions, right. three and two. and um, yep, he he finished with four on the year. Uh, definitely, didn't get anyone, he, I don't think he got it at least on his return. Um, but he was involved. Oh, he did get one. Okay, mm-hmm. he was definitely involved uh, in many plays where you could see it. I remember, um, we kind of baited them in the wildcard card game where. Chase was getting covered by Hamilton and we were all calling it out as a, a mismatch and uh Williams was well aware and he jumped that route and nearly got a pick there
2: right and yeah, it's it's uh, it can seem strange when nobody's really covering the slot receiver and there's a there's obviously some sort of a handoff situation going on quarterback needs to be well aware of that but uh but definitely a, a, an opportunity um, did not allow a touchdown this year. Uh, PFF shows his passer rating against at 42.9, which is just unbelievable. It's, his safeties can often be good in that category and under. PFF typically recognizes the underneath player as being responsible for coverage. So if there's a zone coverage between levels two and three, then the linebacker is responsible and not the safety typically. So that can mm-hmm. tend to under responsibilize the uh, uh, the safety in these particular cases, and they can end up with the good news, but not the bad news when they get some interceptions. But anyway, very fine year for for Williams. Anyway, you cut it from a coverage standpoint, um, and really lived up to to exactly what he'd been uh, in in New Orleans for his years there. When he had uh, uh, well quite a few interceptions in his time at New Orleans, he had 16 coming to Baltimore and four more here. So uh, definitely right on the same kind of track. Uh The other thing he did as a tackler was he missed very few tackles this year.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, I definitely felt like he provided the play that you want out of the safety, not only just being there, having great range and uh, coverage, but also being the safety valve of, okay, they got mm-hmm. to that level. I'm going to tackle you now and you're going to go down and you're not going to get any more yards, which was really nice because we saw how much tackling problems we had even with the hard hitters like Elliott, where you weren't as confident they were going to wrap up. And there was a couple times, too, I thought that Williams just showed really good um, restraint. Like he waited basically for the player to come to him, get the tackle securely and stop him rather than trying to stop him for three or four more yards, but knowing there's no one else behind him. So I thought that conservative nature was probably best um, and just really well-disciplined.
2: Yeah, sixty tackles and three missed per PFF uh, PFR, which is probably going to have the NFL stats has sixty-one tackles for that, and they they chart him with four missed. So either way, uh, you know sources differ a little bit between, but very good missed tackle totals. Uh, just you mentioned it before, but the Cincinnati game last year was one that was a ongoing nightmare for the Ravens in terms of missed tackles in the secondary, mm-hmm. resulting in huge yak. Uh this was a much better Ravens team in terms of tackling and and Williams was a huge part of that. And I think I, I think he was a always known as a good tackler, but he was even more valuable in terms of his ability to diagnose and make plays downhill prior to the sticks and even sometimes in the backfield.
3: Yes, absolutely. I thought that was a nice thing to see as well this year. Just the um I thought the safeties played really well in run coverage.
2: Yeah. Yeah, they did. They stretched out the run well. They're integral to run fits. And, uh, and you know, the Ravens had that with Tony Jefferson, certainly. Um, but but this was a special group in terms of uh, 11 billiard balls to the ball carrier uh, against the run. Definitely a, a, a positive sign. So let's go back to Chuck Clark now because he's the second guy on our list to, to, to talk about here. Clark, a guy who had to feel squeezed on draft night. There were other people, by the way, who felt squeezed on draft night. The the, um, selection of Kyle Hamilton obviously did not sit well with Patrick Queen, who took off the Ravens um, uh, team notation on his own account, uh, uh, on his own Twitter account at something like 104 in the morning. And and, uh, we got this from Kyle Barber, who's just outstanding at getting notifications for for changes to profiles. (laughs) <laughs> that, right. that happened for players it so, out there players if you if you're going to change your profile there will be people in the media who know about it uh probably won't be me but i still might hear about it so it's it's interesting that uh, that, that happened and uh uh you know, it's interesting that that um you know clark obviously was extremely mature about it i mean i think he you know kind of privately asked for a trade uh, I don't know, you know, exactly how reporters reached out to him about interviews because I don't think he was, he was, you know, talking about it that way, but it was noted at some point that I believe that he had asked for a trade.
3: Yeah. I feel like I'm trying to remember if it was ever 100% confirmed that that happened, but it definitely was heavily rumored and never shot down, I guess. Uh, mm-hmm. so I would assume that it didn't occur. And, um, I'm curious, I'm definitely really curious cause he still technically has another year. Under right under contract. Yeah. With us. He, oh yeah. Uh, yeah. So he he, in theory, is a part of our 2023 20, plans. But um, even from the press conference yesterday, it wouldn't surprise me at all if they move on, um, and either trade him or most likely just cut him. I think, and uh, kind of go from there.
2: Uh, they, uh, it, it's possible. I think they would try and trade him. He's still fairly cheap for a for a safety. So hopefully, there's a team that will value him in the same way the Ravens do. Of course. That might be only the Giants and Jets. And if either of them is not looking for a safety, the other may say, we'll wait for him to be cut. But Clark, uh, uh, certainly a a really valuable team leader here for years now. He, he shored up the secondary in 2019 uh, when things were going really badly at inside linebacker in those first four weeks of the season. And uh, that's something we'll get to talk to on the inside linebacker show. But Tony Jefferson got the green dot, and then he got hurt. Um, but Weddle, Jefferson, and Clark all had the, the the green dot in that 2019 season. But Clark is the guy it stuck with, and uh, it made a lot of sense that, that it did. He's been a, a very fine defensive leader ever since. Uh, I thought he played well at safety this year. I thought he had a very a very good year, definitely as a, as a hitter, as a run fitter. I thought he had a pretty good coverage year as well.
3: Indeed. I thought it was um, maybe not his best season. Um, but definitely a solid season only missed a single snap all year long. Uh, something went happened in the Atlanta game where he missed a snap. But other than that, um, he was a total, uh, you know, reliable person on this defense. And like you said, wearing the green dot and communicating out the schemes with the new defense, it definitely took a couple of weeks. It felt like for the calls to get um, consistently relayed and everyone be on the same mm-hmm. page. I uh, wouldn't necessarily blame that on him. I would just, you know, note that he was a part of keeping it together and um, improving it as time went along. And I, th- I think, I was a little surprised he kept the green dot once Roquan got here. And I'm, I'm curious to see what the plan is going forward. I thought there would be a chance that they would want to give rid of the green dot for him so they could mix up uh, coverages. Um, but it didn't seem like it mattered. Uh, and I was glad that his um play was at a high enough quality that never, never came to in question.
2: Yeah. It, it, excuse me. It was an interesting thing because if you, if you have the green dot on an inside linebackers generally thought to be good, uh, if you've got a three down guy. So the Ravens have traditionally done that in their history. When Ray Lewis had it for years after, um, this guy Eric Turner had it in 1996 for the Ravens, not Ray Lewis. And then Ray Lewis got it in 97 and held it all the way until his departure with the exception of the 2008 playoff run when Jim Leonard had the, had the green dot. That was a harbinger of yeah. things to come, but an but, uh, incredible playoff run for Jim Leonard personally, uh, particularly that game against Tennessee, for folks who remember it. Uh, he, he, uh, uh, he also gave the green dot over to players like McLean and Bynes, uh, who had it temporarily when he was hurt, yeah, particularly in 2012. And, yeah, you know, it stayed there. Um, uh, it stayed at uh, inside linebacker for Smith to have, Daryl Smith to have um, in 2013. And, and uh, really until the Mosley era began uh, in 2014. And then Mosley got the Green Dot five games into his first season in the game at Tampa where Joe Flacco had the five touchdowns. He kept it his entire career uh, in Baltimore after that. Uh, and, you know, a lot of people thought Patrick Queen would probably be a guy who would take the green dot away. Owasso didn't. You know, they tried that. That didn't work. Mm-hmm. It lost oh, it only shit. a half against Cincinnati in 2019. Then they right. gave it to Weddle on the back end. And that is it, it was never ideal for them to have a free safety making the calls because it's too it's too long to move after after a really deep coverage. Then the Jefferson, he got hurt. So now you, the, the green dot starting start to get a cursed moniker about it. And then then he gets the, uh, and that goes to to Clark, and then it's been there ever since. In terms of uh, uh, who's had it, only when Clark's been hurt, Uh, Stone has actually had it for, I believe, one game in in that stretch. He did.
3: That's right. Uh, Good call on that, Ken.
2: So uh, we move on, and and now with Clark uh, uh, having the dot. Uh, it was one of the real questions coming to camp was is is somebody going to take it away from him? And and you know, lots of people are saying Kyle Hamilton's too good to not play every snap. That turned out to be true, by the way. But Kyle <laughs> yeah, Hamilton right. was also not good enough at the start. And you you talked about the the week two game in particular at Miami, it taking it mm-hmm. a couple of weeks to for, for the Ravens to, you know, get their secondary sorted out. Kyle Hamilton did not know where he was supposed to be on the football field. And I, I think you know, some of the things that we had done as fans were to project great intelligence. And I think Kyle Hamilton is a very smart guy. I don't, I don't, I think that's, you know, from the way he talks and, and, and whatnot, I, I would, I would derive that, but, but uh, I, I don't think necessarily that he has the best understanding of had the best understanding, certainly of the defense at that time. And on the famously on the 60 yard play off the left sideline to, to Tyreek Hill, uh, he was up at the at the at the line of scrimmage talking to Marcus Williams Marcus Williams as soon as he saw him raced back to the direct corner where he was supposed to be Tyreek Hill caught the touchdown pass behind him and then you can see a gesticulation after the play on the all 22 where he's got a kind of got his thumb back and he's looking directly at uh Kyle Hamilton on the play so bad miss by Hamilton on on that particular mm-hmm. one might have cost him a football game indeed and that was a, a really Tough spot for him.
3: I think with all the expectations um, as a, the 14th overall pick, everyone thought that he was such a great pick in the draft, uh, could have went higher, et cetera, that I, I definitely felt like at the beginning of the year, he was almost pressing for a big play, particularly after the gaffes in Miami or uh, against Miami rather. And uh, eventually for him, I think it was the Cincinnati game. I can't remember exactly. I'll have to pull up his stats, but he eventually had that. Uh, I think it was Cincinnati. Yeah, the the fumble that he was able to generate. I thought that was almost like the turning point for him. Yeah. when he chased down the player, got that fumble, and then I think he got some of his confidence back. And he and naturally just started to understand his role better and and be in the right place.
2: That was that was in the New England game where the Ravens continually turned over the ball in the fourth quarter, meaning they forced turnovers right. in the fourth quarter. Uh, great game for him and, and a great game for the Ravens generally defensively in that game, but. Uh, Hamilton was a big part. That was the big fumble. Marcus Peters was involved, I believe, in three different drive-ending turnover events during that fourth quarter, which is <laughs> which is kind of cool. But he recovered that fumble, uh, right. which was a uh, which was a nice thing. Uh, you know, it, uh, Hamilton's role during this season and his role for two thousand twenty-three. While we're at it. Uh, Is still very up in the air because he's been good at a broad set of activities. And this is, this is a, you rarely have this problem, but boy, is it a great problem to have? I'm going to start with the fact that going into this season, it really looked like the Ravens had two or even three free safeties on the roster. There are a lot of NFL teams out there, folks, who do not have one. (laughs) Most of those teams say, we love our safeties. They're flexible. They can move up. They can move back. They can do whatever it means. What it means is you have no true ball hawk. That's what it means. When you hear that language, it's coach speak for, yeah, you know, we don't have that one ball hawk guy, but our guys can hit and our guys can move up and they can do other stuff. Uh, it's not the ideal situation. You have two free safeties on a team. That's real flexibility. That's real flexibility to play the back end. That's real flexibility to come up and do things. And when they're hitters like the guys, the Ravens have in stone in Williams and in uh, Hamilton, it's uh it's that much better
3: indeed i uh i'm definitely very curious to see what they try to do next year my guest is i mean we kind of talked about it even when kyle hamilton played the slot corner role he was almost playing like a safety in slot yes. corner and you could see that his background so to speak of being a safety was was on display so it gives me confidence that he could uh be our strong safety next to williams and, and really excel in that role but uh it's not a bad problem at all to have Ken. And part of me is like, if he has to stay as with the league, the way it is, if he stays in and uh, is a part of the nickel almost always and is on the field, I don't really mind where he is, but uh, that's for the coaches to figure out and decide what the best uh, formations are for our team going forward.
2: Well, there there is a, a scenario where he can be on the field a hundred percent of the time. And still you have room for Clark Williams and Hamilton. But that safety right. involves trading um, Patrick Queen. And I Indeed. think that that is that is likely to happen. Um, I don't know whether it'll happen this year. I don't know whether it'll happen next year. The Ravens uh, no doubt will pick up the option on pa- Well, I don't say no doubt. I think it's probable the Ravens will pick up the option on Patrick Queen. But it is one of the things from the press conference yesterday that we're recording this on on Friday the 20th that Eric DaCosta wasn't committing to. He, he he was asked a question directly, and you know it's a future contract question. The appropriate answer is, "We'll you know we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. We'll make that decision at the appropriate time." That is the appropriate answer. It's still a little telling that he that he he wouldn't say something like, "Well, whether or not you know we're able to pay Patrick Queen long time a lot, long term, Patrick mm-hmm. Queen's an outstanding value as of right now." And he did kind of mention that he said, "You know, he we really stepped think he stepped up this year to be the player we thought he would be."
3: I thought it was a very peculiar answer because in the past, when he's been asked the same thing during the same press conference uh, for Lamar, it was a no no brainer. And then for Hollywood, he said, yeah, I'm going to pick it up. Uh, and everything he said about Queen suggested that he thought it would be a good value and that they would want to pay that money, but he didn't commit to it, which I thought was very interesting. And um, I think that if anything that plays into the theory, I think you have of, of a possible trade, because then I'm not sure if it's our decision to make. Um, So if they train him sooner rather than later, it might be another team's decision. So uh, yeah, we'll see. I definitely could see us trying to get value out of him, because like you said, if you want to have Chuck Clark stick around, or if you want to use Geno Stone um, and Williams uh, and Hamilton, getting Patrick Queen quote-unquote out of the way is necessary. It's, it's,
2: we'll come back to the safety thing in just one second, because it really indicates there's more value to Queen and potentially significantly more value to Queen um, if you trade him now. Now, presumably anybody who would pick him up would want that fifth-year option. But then the other team that you're negotiating with also knows you've picked up the fifth-year option and has you kind of over a barrel in terms of how the thing can be done. So you you, you really want to make sure that if you're going to trade Patrick Queen, if that's the plan, you trade him before the the um, fifth year option tag has to be applied this season, uh, and then you allow the next team to to make the to make the judgment about that. Now, of course, they're going to make it within days, and if they acquire him, they're gonna they're gonna take it because that's what you do when you when you acquire a player. You want to make sure you get the maximum value. Two years under contract at a relatively limited salary, I would think, is going to be very enticing uh, to another team out there who wants a, a an inside linebacker. Patrick Queen's history is such that I think there would be questions whether or not he's the Roquan Smith type player who leads you from the mic or whether he's your will linebacker, maybe. Maybe the, the difference is subtle, but he's your will linebacker. You really need a two-down thumper on the inside, and he moves to the mic spot for third down where he's the only linebacker on the field. So I think another team that's, that's like built similarly to the Ravens, but they maybe are more keen on what Patrick Queen gives the team directly, would be would, would place him in that role again. Uh, whereas I think the Ravens is actually more difficult for them to fit Queen in because of their other personnel, uh, with particularly with Roqua. I
3: definitely agree with that. Um, we were talking yesterday on our show about how when you have efficiencies in some areas, you need to make trades and – do things to try to boost up your roster in other areas. And it definitely feels like inside linebackers a little over provisioned right now. So, you know, making a trade there would make sense just to try to even out the roster. Um, We'll see for sure. But uh, yeah, I guess we can get back to the safeties.
2: Right. They, they, I I guess they'd also have to be comfortable that um, Harrison can move back into that weak side linebacker role as a platoon player. And then at safety, the, the way you get all those players on the field is, when you have two safeties on the field only, it's Clark and it's um, uh, Marcus Williams with Hamilton again in the slot. When you move to three safeties, sorry, when you when you move to an obvious passing down, you bring Clark up to be the dime. That's one change. You might or might not leave Hamilton in the slot, or you could, if you if you have a slot corner if you you like, maybe you move Hamilton back to strong safety. Under those circumstances, play him deeper where his his ranginess can really help. Um, Option number two is you leave him at the slot and you put Geno Stone in uh, deep, who's been outstanding. Uh, It was very good this year while Marcus Williams was gone, and Mm -hmm. uh, you still have a very strong you know four safety look. It's just one of them you're used you happen to be using at slot corner.
3: Yeah, I definitely want to see more of that next year. I think it was I was surprised by how much usage Queen got um as as the year went on with Roquan around. I thought that they would want to maybe do more of the substitutions, but they didn't choose to. So I guess that's a good testament towards Queen and they had confidence in him
2: uh and what they were trying to do. But he he certainly moved forward and, and had a bigger year. But is his li- he's still a liability in coverage as the season wore on, in particular against Burrow, but against also some of the mm-hmm. younger quarterbacks they faced down the stretch. The Ravens were using a very conservative pass rush where they were trying to uh, create unforced errors, just allow the quarterback to move back relatively constrained rush lanes that cut down on a lot of the stunting they did, but they really cut down on the blitzing, which is a lot of what you use Patrick Queen for. And so it ended yeah. up being that they they uh, you know gave a lot of extra opportunities. Now that gives you time to, for for Patrick Queen to to make a mistake in coverage. And he, he had a better coverage here than he has in the past. He's he it definitely has improved in that area. He improved as a tackler a, as well. Uh and and definitely was was probably his highest value was was as a blitzer, but you know, did a lot of things at a higher level um this season. It's still he was working off a pretty darn low bar from those first two years.
3: Yes. Yeah, I definitely while he had improvements, I still had a little bit of concerns, and like you said, it felt like Burrow. You know, his old college uh, teammate knew how best to exploit him. Uh, we saw, you know, him get uh, mixed up in coverage and back-to-back games with those two Cincinnati
2: games. Yeah, yeah, and not and the. I'm just trying to f- find what is uh, uh, the passer rating against him was this year. It actually has improved uh, to 96.3. Uh, this year, which is better than it was in past years, and I, I don't know if I have that information. Do it, yeah, I, I do. One hundred seven point one in twenty-one and one twenty point eight in twenty. Oh wow! So <laughs> uh, it's you know he's he's definitely improved in terms of coverage. Uh, I, and I still say it's probably the weakest part of his of his game uh, as a tackler. He improved. He had a great run of not missing tackles uh, that was was wrapped around the Roquan acquisitions. So it was already happening when Roquan showed up and then it got better. Um, but then he had a four missed tackle game uh that uh, uh that was a problem. I mean you, there's no way you, you you can you can say it anywhere any way other than that. And that was in Jacksonville against Jacksonville. Uh and he and did pick up a fair amount of missed tackles down the stretch. Still ended up with a tackle rate or miss tackle rate of almost 15% for the year. So uh not not what you want out of an inside linebacker and it may be something that holds back his value a little bit.
4: You may see your coworkers cracking open a can in your 9 a.m. stand-up meeting, but it's most likely not beer. It's a new mountain spring water called liquid death. You've heard me talk about this many times. Why is it called liquid death? Well, because it'll brutally murder your thirst. Plus, it's infinitely recyclable. Tall boy cans are helping to be a, bring a death to plastic bottles. Did you know plastic's not even really recyclable anymore? It ends up just going to a landfill because it's not profitable to recycle. Meanwhile, aluminum is recyclable, and profitable for recycling facilities. You guys know how much I love Liquid Death. It's in everything I do. I take it to work. I take it to the ball club. I take it when I'm out with the kids. I got them right here on my my desk because I'm recording a podcast. I'm always with it. What's cool now is I'm seeing you guys on Twitter talk about how you're grabbing your cans and going to work. So send me those stories about what you're doing and how you're cracking open a tall boy in odd situations because, hey, it's water. And not only is it water, it's the best water that you can go out there and buy. It's cold. You can drink it with whatever you're doing. So going out there, get Liquid Death at your local Harris Teeter or 7-Eleven or find a Liquid Death retailer near you with their store locator tool by going to liquiddeath.com slash filmstudy. That's liquiddeath.com slash filmstudy.
2: All right. Let's get back to safety. So we'll talk about Kyle Hamilton. You made a really interesting point before. Maybe talk about it a little more, and I I have some points to make on it, certainly, too, about Kyle Hamilton playing slot corner like a free safety.
3: Yeah, sure. I thought that what I really noticed is his recognition for um, screens and also uh, his run fits and just the way that he showed range um, and kind of was able to slip off of uh, blocks and and kind of – I don't know, move around the defense. It, it it screamed to me as a player that just had that experience in the back end. Like he just, he didn't look like a slot corner and maybe also just because of his physical size at six, four and uh, his weight. Like he just looked completely different in that part of the field than any slot corner I've ever seen before. And I thought he just offered some really unique capabilities being that close to the line.
2: Yeah, I, 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 uh, I agree on a lot of that and, and it's, it's, there is a, you know, when you play zone defense from that from that slot corner role, he's going to have a, a short zone responsibility to one side. So it's it, or or directly to the middle, but probably to one side, probably on that right side. He represents so much there. First of all, by, by playing zone defense, he can read the quarterback more more actively. He's aware of his surroundings very much in terms of receivers coming into his area. The Ravens don't always have that. Uh, he presents a, a, just an imposing physical size, as you mentioned, that I think really distracts quarterbacks trying to throw over him. Uh, we see that with Tyus Bowser when he drops back to coverage. We see it with mm-hmm. Adafi Oway, who's even bigger um, in, in terms of that. And, uh, and you really see that length being very imposing uh, to, to, a, to a quarterback. Diagnosis skills completely agree. Uh, he was just unbelievable uh, find-the-ball-tackle-the-ball guy. Uh, and uh, and and that was really special. We saw him get an interception on a deflected ball where he was like a Hoover. Uh, one happened mm-hmm. was deflected at the line of scrimmage. I think there are many more of those to take advantage of. I, I you know they could happen in, in level three as well. But I think there are many more of those find the football football situations in Kyle Hamilton's future. And of course, what he's drafted for that a truly exceptional long range is all instinct based. So some of that was taken away from him playing slot corner. But I agree with you that he really put on display a fast diagnosis, which allowed him to play a lot faster at that slot corner spot than his long speed would indicate. Doesn't really help him cover short area, quick receivers who have uh, you know the ability to run a, a whip route well, but it does help him uh, in terms of trying to figure out where the play's going so you can get to the right spot, which means screen pass is very effective. uh, And and other short passes, other finding the ball to a uh, you know as it's going to the running back, he's very good at, and really had a good tackling year as well after after kind of a rough start.
3: Indeed, and he had five quarterback hits and two sacks, uh, many of them coming from when he was playing the slot corner role. And um, I thought that was a he was easily the scariest slot corner blitz I've ever seen in my life because again with his physical size and again just unbelievable i don't know if he ever really showed it in his college tape this just ability to avoid contact when people are trying to block him and just slip by so slippery um really a a a cool weapon on uh on
2: pass rush tremendous use of length by kyle hamilton to to do that Uh, and froholt in particular the guy he beat for on the Steelers right for a whole it was playing right tackle I yeah. right guard rather than right guard yeah he slipped right by him uh and in, in one of the really unusual sacks of the year but uh got to the quarterback and, and and took him down and I I just I love that sack I just absolutely love it and, <laughs> and the, the the pressure he put on was remarkable uh, as it turned out for the year you know I, I look at the Ravens players he's constantly in the Uh, star treatment section uh, because there's just so many notes on him at that slot corner position. In some ways, you look at Marcus Williams, he has a terrific impact on the game. And a part of his impact on the game is you better not throw it here with Kyle Hamilton. (laughs) You can't afford to not throw it here. That area is too big. And also he has all the impact on the run and as a pass rusher and everything. So, you players like that who are at the line of scrimmage show up in a lot more plays. And it's got me kind of wondering, certainly, would it reduce Hamilton's impact to be playing at slot safety or strong safety rather, as opposed to slot corner?
3: I've been wondering the same thing, Ken. I think it's a really interesting question and something I'm sure the coaches are contemplating as well, because, you know, you just look at the raw stats. Um, you know, Hamilton had a little bit of in and outs going on, but, um, with injury and, and missing games and just not the, the amount of snaps in the beginning part of the year. But Chuck Clark had 61 solo tackles, 40 assisted tackles. Kyle Hamilton had 46 solo and 16 assisted tackles. Um, and I, I, I would love to do a split when they were both playing a high percentage of snaps and just see like how often he was in the area to make a tackle. So to speak, um, yeah. definitely felt like he was always around the ball. Whereas with Chuck Clark, like he wasn't, as I, as often, at least in my memory, always run the ball. I felt like he got a lot of his tackles when things made the level two in the, in the run game.
2: Well, one way to look at that is, is to look at, you know, how many defensive wins Hamilton had for the season. And I, the number 24 mm-hmm. uh, will come up and that's a high percentage of tackles. And you you'll, you, you'd see that on a, you know, in the box run defender. Um, it, typically you would see that on a, certainly on, a, on an inside linebacker, uh, but he, he did a great job tackling downhill, stretching out the run, making plays that were did not keep the offense on schedule, where I think you're right. Um, most defensive backs, but but Clark, you know certainly had some of these uh, as well. Um, make tackles that are off the line of scrimmage by a few yards and are you know just touchdown saving tackles, you want to call them or 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 finish the play tackles after a reception. Uh, Which are often defensive losses, but they but they uh, show up as tackles anyway. But uh, Hamilton's year ended up being the highest uh, graded PFF safety for the entire season. He only played 600 snaps, so you know there would be some question as to whether he would qualify for that. But still, quite a feather in his rookie year.
3: Yes, and he got the uh, All Rookie Team designation, I believe, for safety. Um, So definitely getting recognition there uh, alongside his other classmate and. Todd Linderbaum and I believe uh uh Jones as well.
2: All right. Uh last guy we we need to talk about, and we need to make sure we we give him his due here is Gino Stone. A guy who uh you know <laughs> a very interesting roller coaster of a career came out of, of college at Iowa. As the I think number fifty-three overall ranked player yes. or something by PFF <laughs> way overranked, and I, I mean anybody looking at the thing would say, you know, this this does not really make sense. But what Kyle Hamilton had and Gino Stone had is actually pretty similar. Just terrific instincts on where the ball was going to go and questionable speed. Now Hamilton had a lot more that he had accomplished at Notre Dame, um, mm-hmm. but but Stone, you know, was a was a high high rated safety for some reasons. And then of course he drops to the seventh round because nobody buy the bought the PFF overgrade. And then uh, you know, at that point, I was actually in my car going somewhere. And I'm like, you know, maybe it's time for the for the Ravens to uh draft Gino Stone because he's he's you know he's certainly dropped far enough and they can always use a backup safety. And this is a team that uses a lot of safeties. Remember he was drafted in 20, uh mm-hmm. right after they they played 42 percent and change dime in two thousand nineteen. So it, it made sense, you know, that they could use sure. another back end safety. And uh and sure enough they they took him and uh, uh very exciting uh, you know pick at the time from from, from my perspective but it's great to see
3: yeah i was uh, also looking forward to maybe getting stone there he definitely caught my eye during the draft process and we drafted it. i was like okay great like i can see how we would use him and then it was a roller coaster because we almost lost him we ended up mm-hmm. cutting him uh he spent some time with houston i believe yep. and uh managed to find his way back and and I'm sure the Ravens are very thankful that, that gaff of theirs didn't cost them because it's it's honestly pretty surprising to me that he found his way back.
2: Yeah, very surprising to me, honestly. And and uh, you know, it's interesting point that DaCosta made in the press conference was that sometimes you even have too many draft picks and you can't you can't keep them all, you can't let them contribute. But I mean, if he wants to talk specifically, Geno Stone falls into that category and the other guy is Zach Sealer, who they lost mm-hmm. and is now a, a, a star down in Miami. You know, in terms of a of a defensive tackle who can really play, so it really, uh, the Ravens' deep 2018 draft certainly they did. Zach Sealer was the first one to get a to get a long term contract, which is shocking to me. But uh, but they're they uh, the last pick of the Aussie era is the first one out of that incredible group to get it, and then Geno Stone um, in 2020 obviously had to be cut. Uh, and they're very fortunate to get him back. You know, We look at Tyler Beatty this year as being yet potentially another example of a guy at, you know, honestly, a, a kind of a position at need for much of 2022 who still wasn't able to get on the field.
3: Yeah, I, I, I'm re-looking at all of his transactions ever, and this is just wild. I forgot that they, like, kind of played with him for a little bit there, waived him in October, uh, released, and then reassigned to the practice squad. Released, <laughs> signed against the active roster. Released, <laughs> went to mm-hmm. Houston. Like I mean, what? They they really, yeah. They played with fire there <laughs> with, with Gino, yeah. and uh, very lucky. Like we said, they they came back. Um, and 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 furthermore, I mean, we saw other players who got this sort of treatment. Going back to too many players drafted with uh, Beatty. Cutting his contract, you know, terminating on his own uh, accord and, and taking a bet on himself to find work elsewhere. And I think that is, I think these are a little bit of a lesson, like you said, for DaCosta, and it's something that he's going to be considering more. Um, you know, you, you don't want to have maybe 30 draft picks in three years because the roster is just not big enough for everybody, mm-hmm. particularly if you draft well.
2: Yeah, so uh, I, 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 you know, I think, the problem was really just how well the team drafted in that era more than anything else that they drafted a lot of talent. And and it wasn't just that they drafted a lot of talent in 2020 It's that they had a ton of that 2018 talent still on the roster. And, and 2020, they had more players that they're trying to fold into that. And it, and it became more difficult, but uh, you know, it's, it's a, it's, it can be difficult. It really shows to make good choices among tough choices Early on in the career, but it's the right problem to have. That's the problem yeah. you want, not <laughs> the other way around, where you don't have any choices to make because everybody sucks. So you, uh, you know, you you uh, end up with uh, with a good situation. I mean, they they one one player who was around for a long time, uh, who really never reached his full position potential. And I think if they knew what the full potential of Geno Stone was relative to Deshaun Elliott, they would have made that choice instead. But uh, but and and Elliott. Not a terrible player by any stretch. He, he he filled a role. He did something for the Ravens, but he was not as good as Geno Stone, and he certainly was not as good as Geno Stone at playing free safety as he would have been. Uh, and you look at Stone's 2022; he was a godsend in terms of being able to plug him mm-hmm. in for Marcus Williams at the and the extraordinarily high level he played, particularly in the games where where Williams was out, uh, and then Williams returned forget exactly when Williams returned, about week 11 or 12, something like that. And, um, mm-hmm. and, and uh, you know, it's it, it, was, it was fine to have Williams back in, but, you know, it's, it's kind of almost unfair to have Geno Stone taking a seat on the bench at that time.
3: Yeah, and that's actually, it's funny you bring that up because he went from taking 100% of snaps all the way through week 13, and then once uh, Williams was back, getting one, two, one, You know, not getting any snaps, but where he also contributed all year long was special teams. He became one of the special teams aces and was uh, very valuable to the team as a special teams contributor. And I think that was the way that he really found his way onto the roster full-time after those um, pips and bobs off the roster was his special teams presence. And uh, I think they'll want to keep him around as long as they can um, from a special teams role, but he could eventually just become too sought after Uh, people see that he's played well when he gets the opportunity to play on the defense and uh, we may have to move on.
2: It's it, it is possible. I, I think it's also possible. He becomes the new Anthony Levine. And we looked at this, at this roster preseason, and we, we, it was, I thought Tony Jefferson would be the guy, you know, just had, had done a great job in the role. They were playing him in special teams, but they were playing stone at personal protector earlier. Hamilton was also getting a lot of play on special teams. I think he did throughout the season mm-hmm. uh, that might have to change by the way, if he's going to play every snap, he probably <laughs> needs to come off special teams, but, uh, I know. but, but, but stone uh, just been a rock. Uh, in terms of the core special teams unit. And the Ravens have performed, again, at a very high level this year in terms of uh, of their special teams. So great to have them. Uh, so we go on to the 2023 plans and, and talk about you know where the Ravens might go. I think the one thing that maybe we'd both agree on is that it's probably unlikely that the Ravens draft a safety. Now, they, they may well pick up a UDFA. It may be somebody they like, and they may be well served to stay young at the position with one more guy. But where are you on that?
3: Oh, that's a good question. Um, if I were, if I were the Ravens, my, my guess is that they won't prioritize finding a safety, but they'll have guys in mind at various rankings of value. And if, if somebody like Geno stone falls to them in the sixth or seventh round and they add him as a a round four guy or, you know, just, they have a much better grade on him. They might take them then. Um, but I definitely think it's a position group that they'll always try to find a um, UDFA to bring in as well, just to always have that younger person, the optionality of finding that person, a cheap person that you can keep on the roster for a while. I think that's smart in every position group, but particularly at safety, and, and they've been a team that's been known to find some value at safety. So I think mm-hmm. that, that's my guess.
2: Yeah, I, I agree, and and it does turn out most of their guys are drafted, but most of their guys are drafted under the Aussie like Williams round. cheap dime yeah. rule. Yes, that's it. It's six <laughs> yeah. round or later, and or they're or they're picked up as on really cheap contracts. But Chuck Clark been one of the you know great six round mm-hmm. picks in Ravens history. He'll never really be the best because Adelis Thomas was there, but uh, <laughs> but but uh, anyway, a fan, you know, He's been a fantastic six round uh, six round pick. Um, and, and, you know, it, Hamilton and Reed are the exception of of guys that they drafted at first. And, and you know, Reed obviously already had a, Ham, a, a Hall of Fame career, and Hamilton is looking like he's going to have a very good career as well in terms of, of, of being a cornerstone player, I would guess, for the Ravens for years to come.
3: I sure hope so. Uh, it, it, he was super exciting to me, and I got a little scared uh, during the beginning of the year when he was having those gaffes. But uh, it didn't take long for him to really just start showing what he could do. And uh, yeah, he them figuring out how to best optimize his talents uh, will be one of the most important things. I think going into 2023, um, because he'll have a full year under his belt of not just conditioning and getting strong. Cause he is a kind of a lanky guy uh, and he kept getting banged up during the season. So that's something that's something I want to keep an eye on. Um, but yeah, he, he just has so many talents. Uh, I definitely want to see how he proceeds.
2: Yeah. Really looking forward to it. And uh, all the the entire safety group is just a pleasure to talk about. I love the, you know, since I love dime defense, I want to see them utilized even more than they are on the field. Uh, The Ravens obviously kind of created a committed nickel situation, which, you know, precludes the dime by picking up Roquan Smith. Uh, You know, Mm -hmm. it is possible that the green dot goes to Roquan. That's certainly, you know, I think it's probably likely after Clark leaves after 2023, at the latest, let's put it that way. But the Ravens showed yep. Clark some love this year by actually giving him some additional money in a renegotiation of his contract. Um, it, it, that uh, that also freed up a little cap space for them.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: So anyway, uh, 2023. Any other changes you see? Obviously, so a potential young UDFA making the roster as a fifth safety. It would be
3: right. Yep, because uh, it really comes down to. How they want to allot uh the players. I mean, like they kind of carried four safeties all year long this year. Um, but Kyle Hamilton was kind of a, a fake safety, <laughs> you know, playing as a corner. Uh Ardarius came up a couple times, uh, but he also was mostly as a slot corner. So uh I could definitely see them tweaking the roster and having one more safety um always available, but I guess we'll we'll have to come and see.
2: It's it's it is you know, a good problem to have that you have extra safeties, and it's also a good problem to have that you have a quote unquote fake safety who's playing so damn well at slot corner <laughs> that you can't get him yeah. off the field. Uh, you know, the Ravens go into next year with their biggest need on defense being a corner. And yes, they they just they've had a bunch of, of failed draft picks recently at corner, just in the in the simplest terms. And J A D does not, you know, through one year does not look like the guy. Let's hope he is. Marcus Peters mm-hmm. does not appear like he's staying. Kyle Fuller, I don't think I would take a chance on signing him again, given the injury issues um, and, and obviously some of the play issues in Denver the year before. So you don't want to you don't want to lump an injury year on top of a, of a <laughs> poor play year. That's that's a bad combination. Um, and then you know they've the other guys that they'd really hope would would come through didn't this year. Pepe uh, did not. Brandon Stevens, I thought, DaCosta is absolutely right, and he sees it the same way I do. That that he was playing his best ball at the end of the year. That's a good thing. It's a low bar that he set him for himself in terms of playing his best ball.
3: Yeah, I I hear you, and I agree. I think Stevens, I still have a little bit of hope that he can be a reliable outside corner for us and kind of continue to grow in the role. Um, JAD, I just didn't see enough to know anyway how to feel about it. Pepe, I feel like his ceiling is is pretty low. Um, he might He might get more consistent, but I don't ever expect him to be insanely great. Uh, so, yeah, like you said, they're going to have to find people. I think they might want to bring Worley back or Seymour back as um, veteran depth pieces and special teamers. But uh, they need a draft corner. They need to find maybe a corner in free agency, but I doubt it because they're expensive. Um, <laughs> it's, I think it's going to heavily lean on the draft. Wouldn't be surprised at all if it's the first pick.
2: Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised either. It's It it's obviously will be a value question, but it may even be one where the Ravens trade down because there's not a corner of value. So if you... If you if you're looking at that first round and you say, well, we got to get it, we got to get either a guard or a safety. You probably don't want to guard with the first pick anyway, because the Ravens had a lot of success mm-hmm. evaluating guards better than other teams, and don't want to take away your option to beat people at that. So, so probably you know it's cornerback or wide receiver in round one. And if you don't like the value on either position, that's a great time to trade down. Uh, unfortunately, I think most of the rest of the league is going to identify the Ravens as those are the two positions of need they really have. Mm-hmm. And, and they will underbid on potential trades with the Ravens. For sure.
3: I think it's uh no secret, particularly when they come out and say in the press conference that wide receivers on of interest. And also that corner is going to be of interest for this team. And uh, you know, everyone, everyone knows the board, so we'll see, but it also could create a run. That, that could be interesting. You could have other teams bidding up to try to snipe us from wide receiver and snipe us from, from corner. Um, that I guess you could hope that they're making bad trades. So like, even though you might lose the trade going back, other teams are making bad trades, trying to think what you're going to do. Uh, but obviously I don't want the Ravens to have to take a bad trade. Um, I definitely think each year it's getting harder and harder for them to trade back because <laughs> they, I think teams are aware that the Ravens are always up to something, but, uh, if it makes sense for the team, particularly if they're trying to cite somebody, so whoever's behind us, if they're trying to get in front of them because of their needs, that might be what actually really generates value. Uh, so I, I keep an eye on that, I guess, is who's right behind us and um, might cause teams to want to go up.
2: They had, in theory, a very profitable trade back this year, going from 23 to 25 and then picking up Linderbaum. First of all, the the, the Marquise Brown trade, even though it was part of the problems at wide receiver, and I'm not sure Marquise would have would have really fixed that with the kind of year he had mm-hmm. with, with uh Arizona, but it, that trade was remarkable value for Marquise Brown with only one year left on his contract. Just absurd pilfering of value by the Ravens. Yep. Then they traded down and and got twenty five plus one forty something. Uh, with, uh, who did they end up getting for, with the pick? I think it was Jad was the guy. Maybe one nineteen, but they got mm-hmm. Jad with the with the pick, I believe. And and they ended up um, losing out on the opportunity to draft Kair Elam, who I really liked at number twenty three. Did you have do you have a strong yeah. feeling about that? Uh, no, I, I mean, I definitely knew
3: of, of Kyrie and, um, I wasn't super into him. I was more into Booth who was still available at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably where I would have went, but they definitely, they traded back there. Um, I, I felt like there was enough good players on the board that I understood why they would do it. Um, so I, I think it kind of worked out in that way. So if they had, you know, Elam, Linderbaum, maybe one of the guys on the same tier, they were confident, you know, we trade this pick. We're still getting one of those three. So, um, that's why they did it,
2: well, as it turned out, Kyyeri Lim played only twenty four snaps in Buffalo. Obviously, Buffalo didn't have the same sort of injury problems and uh and this it didn't really the trade probably worked out better the way it was, but the other guy that i would have I would have liked to have later on in the fourth round would have been Zach Tom out of Wake Forest, and he had a fine rookie year, so uh it would have been interesting to see him at center instead of Linderbaum Linderbaum had a had a, a a good rookie year, a good basis for the rest of his career. We've talked extensively on this show about about what went on, but it was two different ways the Ravens could have gone in terms of center and corner, picking a one in the first and one in the fourth round, as opposed to the other way around. Uh, and they and they chose to do it the way they did and uh, and we'll see how that plays out.
3: Yeah, I agree with you, Ken. I think that that is a, a bit of a head scratcher or something to always think about is you might want to take the swing early on a corner because of its value and how hard they can be to defined. Um, whereas with center, you can go back, like you said, we're really good at drafting later in the rounds as well. finding good offensive linemen later and maybe getting uh, a little bit more there. So the value of where you pick up players uh, is always a concern with the draft picks.
2: Listen, it was one thing that was kind of a residual value, and uh, you can't bank on this kind of residual value paying off for the Ravens, but they started a run on centers that was really amazing. I mean, they get a flint bomb, and then Cole Strange goes off at number 29, which is just the alarm bell pick of the first round. Then they yeah. had Luke Fortner, I think, go to Jacksonville real early. He didn't have a good year, uh, and they had yeah. other guys go. But but the guy who lasted is a guy who was you know originally a tackle, uh, who I think a lot of people thought because of his arm length was going to end up at center. And I think he ended up playing a fair amount at left tackle for Green Bay. Zach Tom? I have to mm-hmm. look at this for just a second because this is just so interesting. I know we're meandering a little bit off off topic here. <laughs> but while, while I'm doing that, uh, why don't you tell folks where they can talk football with you online?
3: Sure. Uh, You can find us at one winning pod. Uh, We started a YouTube channel this year where you can go back and listen to a bunch of uh, Raven's history episodes that kind of corresponded with the week's opponent. Uh, We also did some picks against the spread on the YouTube channel. Uh, So just some some fun extra content there. Uh, And then one thing I like to plug is we're doing for the first time ever a show where we write these little vignettes about each player that contributed to the Ravens this year. Cause I think one of the unique things and what's kind of lost when we talk about each season is how each team's unique and there's different, you'll never see the same group of players play together again. And we just kind of want to acknowledge that and talk about it.
2: It's a great idea. That's a, it be a lot of fun. Other folks out there, if you're looking for, uh, uh, to do a film study short, we got the shortest of all possible episodes. It's called that one play. So hit me up. I've got a lot of people already who've signed up for this and they've all taken different stuff. So uh, only one person at have to tell I'm sorry, that's that's already taken. Um, but one play from Raven's history that means something special to you. It can be a really famous play, it could be a historic play, it could just be a play from your first game that really told you something it could be a play that made a player your favorite player if you want to talk about that but just be be prepared for you know a 10 or 15 minute conversation that usually means i'm going to pick up a lot of the slack as you as you know when you uh, uh you, you listen to this show but uh love to have you on and i'm looking for a lot of first timers here people who have not been on before so consider this kind of a sports call and show and uh, your chance to talk about your favorite play. And, uh, and us to, to get in touch directly with a number of the fans of the show have been so very loyal over all these years and really appreciate you a lot. Uh, Alec of Zach Tom uh, played about 10 games at left tackle and left, and left guard, but never saw center for the Green Bay Packers. Played quite well. Uh, I want to close out the show with <laughs> like that. Uh, thanks again for coming on, Alec. Yeah, no problem. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study.